Drive less, save more. Ride Coda with the Transit app. Download today for a 450 credit. There's a new way to pay at Coda. That time you got home from a week of double shifts and your dog didn't recognize you. Let's go. Hey, hey, it's me. Hey, it's me. Do you want a treat? You want a treat? Oh. You knew it was time for something new. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, you can find jobs with the work-life balance and salary you want. Plus, build a resume and apply to multiple jobs in just one click. Start your search at CareerBuilder.com. I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read starting at verse 11 through 16. This is the New Living Translation. I really like, now then, if you've been in some of our classes, you understand the New Living Translation is not a literal translation. But I really believe, even though it's not a literal translation, that it really gives us the message of what Jesus is saying to the church regarding what we would call, some call fivefold ministers, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teachers. Others called the ascension gifts, because if you read the preceding verses, it talks about that. But we understand that God still has fivefold ministry, correct? Apostles govern, prophets guide, evangelists gathers, pastors guard, and teachers ground. That's a good summation, that's all. At we recognize it's very important. And in order for the body of Christ to become well-rounded, we need all five-fold ministry. Now, I'm not saying every local church has to have all five ministry. That's great if we do. But there is a sense in which even people come in from outside. We may be prophetic people, prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers even, and so on. And the foundation of the church, which is another topic, is Jesus, of course, is the cornerstone. The foundation is apostles and prophets is what it says So to have a strong church, we have to recognize that, think about this, what are apostles about? They're about about mission, they're about laying foundation, they're about taking new ground, they're about the power of the kingdom being, being manifested in signs and wonders. Apostles are very, very important. And prophets, prophets are very important. We need to be able to hear from God as well in the sense of what he's saying to us individually. We have a responsibility to go. Individually, we have a responsibility to heal the sick. Individually, we have a responsibility, every one of us, to hear from God, correct? But that doesn't mean you're an apostle or a prophet. What it means is that you and I have to find what our giftings are. Where do we fit in in the body of Christ? Because even though we may not be one of the five, we're just as important. Just as important. Every person is equally important in their contribution to see the body of Christ grow. So let's look at this. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Yeah. No? No slide? Okay. I can go on my phone here. Here we go. Okay. Their responsibility... Look at this. What is their responsibility? To equip God's people to do what? Do his work and build up the church. So who's to be equipped to do God's work and build up the church? God's people. King James says saints, which is the church is the body of Christ. Correct? All right. Now look at this. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord Measuring up to the full 
and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. Now, our series that we're in right now is called Grow Up. Grow Up, all right? So we're all called to grow up. Some of us need to really grow up, but we'll leave that between, between us and the Lord, right? Sometimes I need to grow up. My wife tells me that. But listen to this. It says, we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. And what happens when we speak the truth in love? We end up growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is ahead of the of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Wow, isn't that amazing? As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So what are the characteristics of a healthy church? The last sentence is clear. Of a church that Jesus died for is that it's healthy, it's growing, full of love. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Amen? All right. So we are to grow, every one of us, and as we grow and become more like Jesus, we also make a contribution. Just as the body, and Paul loves to use this analogy, just as a body has many members or many parts, he's saying that each one of us is a part. Each one of us is a piece of the anatomy. And if one part of the body is not functioning, if it's not healthy, the whole body suffers. So every one of us has a responsibility. So when you recognize that your responsibility, my responsibility is to do what God has called me to do. Primarily, five-fold ministers are called to equip, and we looked at that last week, to help people be healed up, help people be strengthened, and then also so that they recognize what gifts they have and how they're called in order to fulfill what the Lord wants them to do with their lives. Very, very important. So there's an equipping that takes place from five-fold ministry. I used the analogy last week of a sport team. On a team, you have coaches, you have trainers, you have doctors, you have, you have you know, different, t- different members, but they're not the ones that play the game. It's the team that actually plays the game and wins the game. And so that's the way it operates in God's kingdom. Every one of us has a responsibility. Every one of us is called, and we have something that we can contribute to the growth and the development of the body of Christ. Think about it this way. If God has saved you through Jesus, he's filled you with the Holy Spirit, then you have the same power and anointing that Jesus operated in. I'm not saying you have it in the full measure. I'm saying that as a body, we each one of us have part of it. And what happens is if you don't discharge that, those gifts, the calling that you have, the body will lack. The body will never become all that it is intended to be. So as we grow in unity, as we, we come into this unity in, in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, we become mature and we measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The word mature is teleos. It means full-grown, an adult of full age, mature. It also can be translated lacking nothing necessary for completeness. 
so that you and I lack nothing necessary for completeness. We were called and saved not just to go to heaven, but to become like Jesus on the earth. And what did Jesus do when he was on the earth? He ministered the king, he released the power of the kingdom of God. He brought heaven to earth. Romans 8, 29 says, for whom the father foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus saved you and me so that we would be like Jesus. We would be conformed to his image and likeness. We looked at at least three different ways in which God has called us to, to live as mature disciples. First of all, we are to know how to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Secondly, we're to walk with the Son. We're to be like Jesus. We're to model Christ-likeness. And thirdly, we're to do the works of the Holy Spirit. We're to allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit to flow through us to others, the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what it means to be a disciple. And every one of us has been called to be disciples. There's, there's not, well, there's not an option. Like, I'll sign up, but I'm not going to take this discipleship part. That's not the way it is. I, I love what it says in John chapter 8 when Jesus preached to the multitudes and he gave a really strong word to them. And what ended up happening is they began to resist the message. They, they didn't want to submit to what he is saying. But then Jesus challenged them. I'm paraphrasing, but in John 8, this is what it says. To those who believed in him, he said, to those that believed in him, he said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Those who believed, not the unbelievers, to those who believed in him, he said, if, if, how many of you know that if is a big word in the Bible? If you continue in my word, if you obey my word, if you keep obeying my word, if you keep following me, you are true disciples. And what will happen is you'll know the truth. And as you know the truth, as you read the Word, as you study the Word, as you dig into the Word, as you open your heart and obey the Word, you'll know the truth, and ultimately the truth will make you free. Wow, what an amazing revelation. Free. Free from what? Free from yourself. Sometimes you're your own worst enemy. You know that, right? Free from sin. Free from the powers of darkness. Free from the things that are opposing you in life, free from your past, free from unforgiveness, free from bondage and bitterness, free from anything that has occurred to you, woundedness, free so that you can serve Jesus as a man, a woman who's a full-grown child of God, a mature child of God. You're not tossed to and fro. You've put down deep roots. That's our theme this year, deep roots. Your roots, you're rooted, you're grounded. And because of that, you're not going to be blown around. And this is so important because as much as we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and miracles, the prophetic, and we certainly want to see that happen, we can't live on that. We can't live on that meaning going to a meeting, right? The, the children of Israel were told to camp around the presence of God. Right? And as they camp around the presence of God, that's where God spoke to them. 
That's where they understood what the Lord anticipated from them and how he led them forward into his perfect will. So we have to make a commitment to discipleship. It's imperative. There's no option. There is, it's not, as I said, you know, something that is, um, it's, uh, you know, an additional thing. Well, if you want, you can be a disciple. No, you've got to be a disciple. Every one of us is called to be a disciple more and more like Jesus. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but every disciple that's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Like his teacher. If we're perfectly trained, we will be like the teacher. The word translated perfectly trained is, comes from the same Greek word that's translated equipped in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. If you're fully equipped, if you're healed, if you're repaired, if you're, if you're strengthened and you're given what God wants you to have in terms of your calling and preparation, you'll be like Jesus, doing what Jesus did on the earth. Man, he glorified his father, didn't he? He walked in such intimacy with his father. He allowed the Holy Spirit to remain and rest upon him, and he released the power of the Holy Spirit and did miracles. I think one of the keys that we miss in all of this is what the Bible calls grace. I'm going to share some things today about grace that maybe is new to you, maybe something you've never understood before, but I believe it will transform your life if you really understand grace. You know, the Bible speaks about two extreme positions on grace. There's legalism. Legalism, when we think we have to do certain things in order to earn God's favor, in order to bring enough brownie points, so to speak, to be saved. That's legalism. If I do this, if I do that, then God will accept me, God will save me, and God will even promote me. And that's, that's legalism. But then the other extreme is licentiousness or lawlessness. And lawlessness is, the book of Jude, it says, they turn the grace of God, these false teachers, into a license for sin. In other words, I'm under grace. I can live any way I want to because it's all good. Jesus paid for the price. I can live any way I want, and I'm forgiven. And Paul addressed that so clearly in Romans 6. How can we continue, you know, in sin? How can we, if grace abounds, sin, you know what? If sin abounds, grace superabounds is what he says. But how can we continue in sin? We cannot continue in sin if we're under grace. It makes absolutely no, no sense at all. In fact, any teaching that says it's okay to live in sin as a, as a lifestyle habitually because you're under grace, it's not a message of grace. It's a message of disgrace. Let's go to 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. This is a commandment. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the interesting thing? It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, when Jesus was 12 years of age and he had that encounter in, in the temple where he sat down with the teachers, and it says that he submitted himself to his parents afterward, and then it says that Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men, correct? He increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men in that order. The word that is translated favor there is the same Greek word that's translated grace in 2 Peter 3.18. It's charis. So 
Jesus grew in grace, in favor with God and men. Jesus grew in grace. So if he grew in grace, how much more do we need to grow in grace? So we need to understand something from the very outset, something extremely foundational. Many have confused mercy and grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Come on now. Do you understand how, what we deserve? Do you really understand the wages of sin is death? Eternal separation from God, that's what we deserve. But because of God's grace, he did not give us what we deserve once we come to Christ. Secondly, grace is God, because of God's mercy, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. What we do not deserve. We do not deserve favor. We do not deserve peace, patience, eternal life. We do not deserve the blessing of the Lord. We do not deserve it. But God, because of his mercy and grace, has blessed you. Wow. Wow. So amazing, isn't it? Come on, guys. We can never, we never lose this, this consciousness of this truth. I don't care who you are. You know, the more you recognize the mercy of God, the more of a worshiper you'll become. He who's been forgiven much loves much. When you recognize and you have a revelation of what you've been forgiven of. Well, I'm not, I wasn't a bad person. I grew up in the church. I've been a pretty good person. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. So you're in that category. There's no big or small sinners in the kingdom of God. We all deserve judgment and condemnation. But God, through Jesus, said, I'm going to take that and put it on my son so that he will become judgment. He will take the judgment that we deserve. Wow. And then he will pour out the blessing of God, eternal life, forgiveness. He will pour out righteousness, peace, and joy upon our lives. What is grace? Let me just say something about grace. I'm going to give you two definitions here, and it's kind of like two sides of a coin. First of all, grace is that God grants us favor that he's not obliged to give. God gives it to us not because we deserve it, not even because he has to do it, but because he chooses to give us grace. God has grace because of who he is, and it's not predicated on human effort or achievement. He didn't say, well, I think I'll save you because you've been really good. You've done extraordinarily well. It has nothing to do with that. He looks at every person in the world, and he says there's grace for everyone. Okay, think about that. There's grace for every person to receive forgiveness, mercy, not be judged, to be pardoned. Wow. Secondly, Grace is God working in us by the power of his Holy Spirit, giving us both the desire and power to do his will. I love Philippians 2, 3, 13. Paul says, God is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. The New Living Translation says, God gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Who gives you the desire to do the good things, to honor God, 
right? So why is it as a Christian, when you're truly saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is you shift into a light, a new tension where before you lived in the world, you did sinful things, and you really didn't feel too bad about it unless it was something maybe extremely hurtful to a person, but you just indulged yourself in the loss of the flesh, and you lived that way. But then once you come to know Jesus, all of a sudden when you sin, it just doesn't feel good anymore. When you, when you sin, it's just all of a sudden there's this tension like, why did I do that? I'm struggling with it. And you may fall into sin and even keep falling into sin. But what ends up happening is you actually become a very miserable person because your new reality is to not live in sin. Your new reality is to do the will of God, to live the way he created you to live. So you're not going to feel really good. You're going you're gonna to struggle. You're going to carry guilt. There's going to be this sense. Of, and, and some people say, well, that's of the devil. No, it's not of the devil. It's called conviction. And the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he's not condemning us. He's convicting us. He's saying, that's not right. Are you convinced that that's wrong? And he will convict us of sin. What? It doesn't say sins. It says sin because why? He went to the Father, right? Because what? Of unbelief is what it says. Because of their unbelief. It doesn't say sins. It says sin. Interestingly, there's only one sin. It's unbelief. It's not trusting in the redemption of Jesus. And if you don't trust in the redemption power of Jesus, you're guilty as a sinner. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed, whether you've got a list of a million or you've got a list of 10,000 sins, if you don't trust in the redemption of Jesus, you're a sinner because there's only one sin. It's a sin of unbelief. It's a sin of rejecting what the Father has made available to take away your sins. It says you'll be, he'll convince you of righteousness because Jesus was raised to life again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Eugene Peterson says that Jesus has ascended far above us, far above anything we can do, any human can do to try to become a holy person. So it's his righteousness. He doesn't just convict us of sinners, you bad sinner. He convinces us of righteousness, meaning that Jesus is the only way of salvation. The only way you can be righteous and be free from this sin issue is Jesus because he was the only one who was raised from the dead. I am preaching better than your amen ending. Thirdly, he'll convict the world of judgment like because the prince of this world has been cast out. What does that mean? It means this, that the power of Satan has been destroyed, has been negated, been nullified. There are people that say, you know what? I'm going to get my life together one day, and when I do, I'm going to serve God. That is, that is a lie of the enemy. Because what? People say, well, because, you know what, I just need to work on this, this, and this. It's, going to, it's a process. It's going to take me time. But Jesus wants you to understand that the power of the devil has been nullified. He's not able to hold you back. He's not able to stop you from coming to Jesus. He's been disthroned. He's been kicked out. And now he can no longer hold you back. If you turn to Jesus, he's going to set you free from the power of the enemy because he no longer has authority when you trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. So grace, God's working in you. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't just say, okay, here's what you need to do. God begins to change your heart's desires. 
The righteousness of the New Testament, the New Covenant, is an inside-out righteousness. Stop trying to be righteous. You can't do it. Stop trying to, you know, change your behavior. You can't do it. You might to a certain level or to a certain degree. We know about New Year's resolutions, right? The average resolution lasts three weeks. What does that say? So what happens? Yes, because we're made in the image of God. We have a free will. We can't exercise that. But there's certain things over the powers of darkness, over all sin. You're never going to be able to walk in dominion over that in your own effort. You might be able to quit smoking, quit overeating, but you're never going to be free from the power of sin. Can't be done. Only the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can do it. Let me share with you five facts about grace. This is awesome. Five facts about grace. First of all, we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2 eight, right? By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Awesome. Saved by faith. Romans 5.2 says we stand by grace. By faith we, we have access into this grace in which we stand. So think about it that one. You're saved by grace. You're born again by grace. And then you stand by grace. A child is born, doesn't walk. But then you stand. A child eventually begins to stand. So you get established as you're growing. Then you overcome by grace. Romans 6, 14 says, sin will have no dominion over you. You're not under law, but you're under grace. So you overcome sin by grace. You start to walk. And then we worship God acceptably by grace. Let us have grace. Thereby we may worship God acceptably in reverence and fear is what it says in Hebrews 12, 28. And then lastly, we experience miracles by grace. This is the running part right here where you're up and running. Acts 4.33, it says that with great power, the apostles testified to the resurrection. And this is what it says. Are you ready? And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon the whole church. It's not saying that it was just on the apostles. Great grace was upon the whole church. In the Greek, it says mega grace. Mega grace. They were all experiencing mega grace. So now we're talking about grace on steroids. This is grace in full motion. This is grace as God intended it to be in our lives. So this grace is available to us. This favor is available to us. But the Bible says it's not just something that we experience from the moment we're born again. We're called to grow in this grace. We're called to access more and more grace. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in grace with God and men. So we can grow in grace. How do we access grace? Well, grace is accessed through the intimate knowledge of God and by faith in him. 2 Peter 1, 3. I'm going to read this from three different translations. Look at this. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Awesome, isn't it? We're not waiting for him to give it to us. He's already given it to us is what it says. Meaning on the cross when Jesus rose, he said, it is finished. It's done. I purchased the price. It's available. You're not waiting 
I've already paid the price. It's yours. You just have to learn to access it. It's been deposited into our bank account, but if we don't withdraw, make a withdrawal, it's of no value to us. In fact, in God's kingdom, it doesn't accrue interest. If you don't use it, you lose it. Secondly, it says that this is available through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by the knowledge of him. The New Living says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That settles it right there. How do I, you know what, you don't know my troubles, you don't know my struggles, you don't know what I've been through. Well, frankly, you don't know what I've been through. And you don't know what the person sitting beside you necessarily... El Todos Hablamos McDonald's dio. Porque cuando están decidiendo qué ordenar, y la tía Carmen te dice... McNuggets, mijo, y una de las hamburguesas con esa salsita, ¿sabes? Ya tú sabes que eso significa una Big Mac. Y lo sabes porque tú también amas esa salsita. Hay un meal para cada cena familiar en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular. But I can tell you this, that it doesn't matter what you're going through, what they've gone through, what I've gone through. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with His grace. And His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. It's all that we need. And God, through His grace, has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything. You can overcome this. You can break free of that. You can resist what the enemy is trying to do in your life. No matter what it is that you struggle with, his grace, his divine power has given you everything you need to live a godly life. And look at this. We have received all of this by coming to know him. We have received all this by coming to know him. We received it, but we grow in it. The message, 2 Peter 1.3. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. How do we get it? By getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. If you grow in knowledge, you'll grow in grace. There's no separation there. These are, they work together in tandem. If you grow in the knowledge of Jesus, you'll grow in grace. So our focus is to, be, to, be, to make sure that we emphasize our need to get to know Jesus more. If I make it my decision and my discipline to develop a deeper relationship with Jesus, I will change. I will overcome I will see victories and breakthroughs in my life. I will stand. I will overcome. I will learn to worship God at a new level. And I will experience answers to my prayers and miracles. And it's interesting because the word that is translated grace also means, listen to this, the favor of God that affords joy, pleasure, and delight for his children, resulting in our thanksgiving. So the word grace means the favor of God that affords joy, pleasure, and delight. 
And the word translated thanksgiving actually is often the word grace. So it's with thanksgiving we are offering back grace to God for what he's graced us with. And because he's graced us with this, we have such joy, we have such pleasure, and we have such delight that we have to worship him. Now, come on, answer the question now. If I don't have joy, if I don't have pleasure, may I submit to us this morning that there's a grace deficiency in your life. You're not growing in grace. You're not accessing that grace. God has great grace available that will cause you to walk in joy, peace, pleasure. I love what Jesus says in John 16, verse 23 and 24. This is interesting. He's just about to go to the cross, and he tells his disciples, you know what, I'm going to be with you for just a little while longer, then I'm going to be gone. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he'll be with you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. He'll be with you forever and ever. And in this new time, in this new season, I want to actually challenge you to ask the Father anything in my name. Look at this. Look at this. 16, 23, and 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. He will give it to you. If you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Correct? Come on. How many believe that? A lot of times we pray, but we really don't believe it. We pray, but we don't necessarily believe it. And I, I believe it. Whether it happens immediately or not, I believe it. When I ask according to the will of God, and I know that when you delight yourself in the Lord, when he becomes your delight, he will end up putting what things delight him in your heart. And when you realize that, when you're focusing on him, not what he can do for you, not what he can necessarily give you, but just focusing on getting to actually know him. Come on, guys. It's not about going to church on a Sunday and that's everything. Going to church is important. It's part of the way you grow. As we get into the word, as we worship together, as the body of Christ ministers to one another, but there's this place where we have to make a commitment that we're going to grow, we're going to connect with God. And when we walk in the favor of God, when we do those things that are pleasing in his sight, then what happens is there is this favor that's released upon our life. And the more we are obedient and the more we do what is pleasing to the Lord, the more favor that is released on our life. If it was just if grace is simply unmerited favor and there's nothing that we have to do at all in order to have the full deposit of God's grace, then there's, there would be nothing in the word that would say we need to grow in grace. And I recognize that it's not that, that God is, is needing to give us more. We've already received it all, but it's our understanding of grace and it's also our accessing of grace.
It's our faith, and it's appropriating what he's already made available. So Jesus says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Listen to this. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. I'm about to leave. I'm about to go to the right hand of my Father. So here's what I'm telling you to do. Ask in my name, and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. That you will experience the grace of God that will cause you to walk in joy, peace, pleasure, and delight. And you will worship me. Call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. He will answer you and deliver you, and you will glorify his name. Why does God allow me to get in trouble? Why does God allow difficulties and problems in my life? I'm not talking about the problems that are a result of decisions we've made to disobey the Lord. I'm talking about when you go through difficulty in life. Why is it? Why was Daniel put in the lion's den? Why did David have to face a giant? Why did Jesus, you know, face a crowd that didn't have enough food? Because in our time of challenge and difficulty, in our difficult times, it's an opportunity for a miracle. It's an opportunity to access the grace of God so that we call upon his name, he answers us, and then we glorify him. That's the way it works. Come on now. You should look at trouble in a lot better way. And this week, I'm praying that a lot of you have heaps of trouble (laughs) because you need to worship more. Come on now. We need to become better worshipers, more thankful, more grateful. Come on, don't we? Right? So you're going to need some trouble. You're going to need some trouble. Because you're going to need some trouble because you're going to have to draw on the grace of God. So it's just like, well, I don't know. Look, it it is what it is. This is life. And this is what God has called us to. So your joy is to overflow. Your joy is to be full. He wants you to walk in the fullness. How do we access grace? Very simply, we extend our roots. Think about grace as those rivers of living water. Jeremiah 17, verse 8. The righteous person shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river. Will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit because of grace. Accessing the grace of God, those rivers or those streams of living water. Jesus used a different analogy in John 15, 4 and 5. He said to his disciples, if you abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, God expects fruit from our lives. In fact, if you look at that passage, he's very clear that he called us. He said, no, he didn't, he said he didn't, we didn't call him. We didn't seek him. He, we didn't choose him, but he chose us. And it says that we might bear much fruit. So God expects us to bear fruit. God expects us to manifest the life and the favor of God in every area of our lives. We are able to overcome sin when we access grace without being conscious about it. 
Why? Because it's not every day I got to write down, do not do this or that. No, that's not the way. That's dealing with the behavior. It's not dealing with the root. If you recognize that as you access the grace of God, which is the power of God, which is the divine ability of God, 2 Peter 1.3 says, we become partakers of the divine nature, meaning God's nature is now in us. God doesn't sin. God doesn't hate people. God never has a miserable day. So what do we, I'm not saying, guys, that we get it all at once. I'm saying I recognize it's changing the way we think. I recognize it's appropriating it. But the fact is grace is available for us. But what we have to do is focus on accessing the grace rather than trying to change ourselves. And as we, as we make it our intentional effort to get to know Jesus more intimately and personally through time in the Word, through time in prayer, through obedience to the Lord, then what happens is His life begins to flow into us just like the life that is in the vine flows into the branches and the branch doesn't have to do anything to bear fruit because it's connected to the vine. The life that is in the vine goes into that branch and the branch bears fruit all by itself. I think it's in Mark chapter 4, verse 31. Jesus told a parable about a man who sowed seed. And he said he sowed seed and then he went to sleep. And it actually says that this seed represents the growth of the kingdom of God. And he said that this seed will grow. It's all by itself is what he says. The word is, our, we get our English word automatically. That's the Greek word, the Greek word, automatically. Understand this, the kingdom of God is about abiding. As we abide, what happens, Jesus said in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is within you. As you abide and you stay connected to the king, his life flows into you. As you live in that kingdom, that life flows into you, and all of a sudden your desires and affections begin to change. Guys, we don't need a 12-stack rehabilitation program unless that points people to a relationship with Jesus where his nature begins to supplant their nature and to take over their nature. Then what ends up happening is it's just dealing with behavior. It's just dealing with the outside thing. But if you can change a man's heart, his behavior will also change. I am definitely preaching better than your amen and me. I want to say it again. If you can change a person's heart, their behavior will also change. Because all of a sudden now they have new desires, new affections. And now the affections of God are in their life and they hate the things that God hates. And they love the things that God loves. And as they become more intimately connected with him, it becomes more pronounced and stronger in their lives. It's amazing. If we abide... He will provide. Bearing fruit, I said, is the promise, but abiding is the process. We focus so often on the promise, I need to bear fruit. This year I'm going to bear lots of good fruit. Jesus never once told us to bear fruit. He told us if we abide, we will bear much fruit. Let me read it again. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. If you abide, the fruit will occur. Stop focusing 
on behavior, on external things, human effort, your own power, your own strength. The gospel is that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. The very nature of God is in you. You can do what God has called you to do. You, we need to pray and we need to believe. We need to ask extravagantly, extravagantly. We need to go out and just put it all out on, a, on, on the limb and just say, God, I'm believing for this. I'm asking for this. And as we ask, you watch what happens. I see it happen on a weekly basis, and I'm believing for even more often, sometimes every day, where there's specific things that come to us, specific challenges, people, our own circumstances, whatever it may be. And I pray, and I say, yes, Father, you said ask in, your, in the name of Jesus, and you would answer me, and you would do it, that my joy might be full. Yeah, I want some more joy. And so I'm asking, and I'm believing it right now. I'm believing it. I'm believing it. And you know, there's this thing called favor. And what is favor? Favor is simply this. Your life goes into autopilot. Your life goes into autopilot. Says in Psalm 46, be still and know that he's God. Means cease striving. Let him be God. Why did God give us Sabbaths? Right? To rest. And we don't like to rest. But he said, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, it says, I gave them my Sabbaths at a sign, as a sign, that they might know that I am the Lord their God that sanctifies them. That they might know that I am Yahweh Kadesh. I'm the Lord that sanctifies them. Why? Because of the Sabbath. <laughs> because of the Sabbath. Because... You can't do anything on the Sabbath. Your, these Sabbaths are a reminder that I'm the one who does the work. I'm the one who will bring the change to pass. You just need to trust me. You just need to stay connected. You just need to extend your roots. And as you do, you will see my hand of provision. Your life will go on autopilot. There's even a place where he says... Even before you ask, I'll answer you. And Isaiah, before you even ask me, I'm going to answer you. I've seen that happen recently. I mean, I was, I was literally, true story, back a few months ago, I was in Singapore in the airport. We were on our way to the Philippines. And I had prayed a prayer about a week or two earlier. And I don't know why I prayed this prayer, but I believe the Lord must have put it on my heart. But I also know he gives us the desires of our heart. And there's some things we ask for. And it's not like he wants us to ask. He wants us to be audacious. Ask me. Ask me. I'm a good father. If you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more am I going to give you good gifts? So ask me. So I, I don't even ask the Lord. I have this thought like, you know, it's like a prayer in my head. I, I didn't verbalize it. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I've only met Bill Johnson once. But I don't know why, but I would like to meet him. No kidding. So we're walking through the airport in Singapore. And I look, and standing right in front of me is Bill Johnson. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit reminded me. Listen. 
What are the chances of that? I just was, I didn't even ask. There was another time I think about how much the Father loves us. I was flying from Toronto, Canada to Africa to do some ministry. I was sitting in the airport and I had a, I had a long layover in London, about 12 hours. And I had this thought come to my mind and it was kind of a prayer, but I didn't again say it loud. I just said, Lord, it would be really nice to tour London, but I don't know where to begin. I don't know who, I will, you know, how to do this. Maybe you, you can just put it in somebody's heart to help me out. So I'm sitting in the airport in Toronto, and just shortly after that, this couple, they come and they sit down beside me. Start talking to me, telling me they're going to Tanzania. I was going to Uganda, I believe. And they're going, oh, yeah, do you have a layover in London? Yeah, yeah, I've got a long layover. Oh, so do we. And I said, yeah. She said, have you ever been to London? Oh, I've been to London, yeah, but I've never really seen the city. Oh, really? Well, we have a long layover, and I used to be a, a tour guide in the city of London. So how about we take you around and show you everything? Do you see that God loves to bless his children? He puts things on our heart. He gives us the desires of our heart. There's sometimes when you're in a place, because the Bible says that the person that delights himself in the Lord gives God good pleasure. The person that does his will, the person that has a pure heart, the person that is not living for themselves, but they're living for God and his purposes. He looks down and he smiles at that man or woman and he says, you know what? You are a person that I'm going to give special blessings to. My favor is going to rest upon you. I'm going to open doors. I'm going to take care of you. You know, I'm going to just go before you and I'll do things to show you how much I love you. He's a good God. And what joy to know that the Father loves you like that. You understand, please listen to me this morning. There are so many Christians that do not understand the love of God. They see him as this powerful God. But they don't understand that he wants to be close to you. And they don't understand what he did for us at the cross. You see, your joy is going to overflow. Your joy is going to overflow. How many want some joy that overflows? Come on. You know why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. We need joy. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? But desire realizes a tree of life. God wants to give us joy unspeakable, the Bible says, and full of glory. Joy unspeakable. It can't be contained. Come on. So good. Now listen. Your joy overflows because, number one, you know your identity. When you really spend time with God and you understand grace, you understand your identity. I'm a beloved child of God. He loves me. You're not going to be, well, this week I messed up. I did. Yes, you did. But that has nothing to do with your identity. That's not who you are. You failed. You messed up. But it's not who you are. You are a beloved child of God. And the father looks at us and goes, oh, well, I wish you didn't do that. But 
He loves us, and he's saying, I want you to know how much you're loved. It has nothing to do with what you did. It's because of my grace. In fact, the Hebrew word for grace speaks in Deuteronomy 24 of a husband who has such love and infatuation and obsession with his wife that he'd be willing to take a bullet for her. Right? What would you do with your wife if you're walking down the street and you get attacked by a band of thugs? What would you do? I would fight to my death. I would do whatever I could. Why? Because I love her and I'd give anything for her. And that's the word, one of the meanings of the, of the Hebrew word for grace. That God loves us so much that he gives everything. He takes great pleasure in us, is what it means. Wow. So we know we're a beloved child of God. We know we're the bride of Christ. Come on now. The bride of Christ. We recognize that. And we're favored because of him. Secondly, intimacy. Because of intimacy, we now have access to God's presence. Wow. You know, I don't care how much money a person has, how powerful they are. If they don't know Jesus, they don't have access to his presence. But it's in his presence that we have fullness of joy. It's in his presence that we understand who he is. It's in his presence that he, he reveals himself to us. He shows us what is in his heart. He manifests his love. He causes us to be encouraged and strengthened. And it's in that place of intimacy that he speaks to us his secrets. And he shows us those things that are on his heart that he wants you and me to know. Thirdly, authority. When you know, when you were living in grace, you now have authority. You can overcome because the spirit of grace, Hebrews 10, 29, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace, abides in you. The spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit that was in, with Jesus doing all the miracles, that raised him from the dead, that same Holy Spirit is in you. Now you have authority. You don't have to put up with all this stuff that Jesus said is the enemy of the true believer of God. You can exercise authority over sin, over sickness, over Satan, and you can walk in the fullness of his power because you've been given authority. <laughs> Lastly, because of your realization of your destiny, you'll also have great joy. Your destiny is simply this. You now have a purpose. So many people have no purpose in life. They go to work. They do their job. But they really have no purpose. Why am I doing this? Why in this world am I here? Why in this world am I here? What on earth am I here for? What is my purpose? When you truly walk in that place of the fullness of grace and the knowledge of the Lord, you will understand your purpose for this purpose. Jesus knew his purpose. 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the devil's works. For this purpose, you were manifested that you might destroy the works of the devil, that you might go around terrorizing hell, 
that you might go around bringing people to Christ, that you might go around bearing good fruit, that you might go around manifesting the knowledge of the glory of God everywhere you go. That's your purpose. Your purpose isn't what you're doing with your business. That's just a means to an end. That's just something you're doing to maybe provide for yourself and help others, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to see the kingdom of God extended. Your purpose isn't even just what gifts you operate in spiritually because gifts come and go. Gifts, there's, there's an ebb and a flow with gifts. It's about knowing your purpose. I know my identity. I know he loves me so much. And the cool thing is when someone tries to tell me certain things and they speak nasty to me, because I know who I am and I know how much I'm loved, it doesn't bother me at all. I feel sad for them. I'm like, man, I wish you knew who your father was. I wish you knew how much your father loved you. You don't have to act like that. He loves you so much, he'll change you. If you just get to know him, he'll show you who you really are. He'll, he'll make it clear to you. He'll change everything about your life. He'll give you a purpose. He'll give you a destiny. He'll give you authority. And you'll be able to do everything that he's called you to do.